and welcome back to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. My guest today probably doesn't need much of an introduction because he's just so well known, but uh, today I'm joined by Ryan Serhans. Ryan is perhaps the most well-known real estate broker and brand in the world. Ryan leads the number one real estate team in New York, and many of you may know Ryan as the star of Bravo's hit TV show, Million Dollar Listing New York. Ryan is also the CEO of his own brokerage firm called Serhant, which he started in the middle of a pandemic, and we'll certainly get into that as we have our discussion. In addition to all that, Ryan is also the author of two best-selling books, and he's also the creator of Sell It Like Serhant, which is an online education course in sales. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you, you know, when I was going through that bio, I, I, I think I could go on and on and on and um, you've obviously accomplished so much in your life. Is there anything that I missed that you think, uh, besides you know having a beautiful daughter and, and wonderful wife, anything I missed that you want me to uh, want to expand on a little bit for our audience? Oh no, I think it's th- those are the main things. People know me as the real estate guy, and I think that's pretty fitting. Well, how old is your daughter now, by the way? How old is Zena? She is two and a half. Excellent. Excellent. Congratulations. Well, listen, most people watching right now, they uh, they know you from Million Dollar Listing. I would imagine you probably get stopped in the street a bit of people recognizing you. I would think there is a pretty daunting process. So when Andy Cohen started Million Dollar Listing, obviously there's the New York version and the LA version. And uh, I guess tell us a little bit about really kind of how the process went. How did you go for the casting? And what do you think it was about you that they were so interested in wanting to have you be on the show? Good question. I came to New York City in 2006 uh, to do theater. I wanted to be an actor. And I wanted to be on stage. And it was the only thing I was ever good at. I wasn't great at sports. I wasn't the best in school. The one thing I I could do, though, was perform. Um, And I just knew that when I graduated college, if I didn't try it, to try to make it, quote unquote, right, I would never do it. Um, the last thing I would want to do is, you know, go get a regular job, lead a regular life. And then when I'm 60 years old, say, okay, family, now I'm going to shake things up and go be an out of work actor. Like it would just never happen. So at least with the level of responsibility that I, I typically put on my own shoulders. So I moved to New York in 2006. I didn't know anyone in LA, so I, I didn't want to do that. So New York was the closest and I actually had some college buddies moving to New York. So it was easy for me to, you know, find roommates and it was just really hard really hard to make money, really hard to, you know, to do anything. You work for free, right? You have a survival job. Um, I luckily, well, not luckily, I mean, my grandfather died. And so, you know, he left uh, my brothers and sisters and I, you know, like $20,000 each. And so that was what I lived on and saved up. And then I did little odd jobs like hand modeling and random stuff like that. Um, I got onto a soap opera pretty quickly. And then I pretty quickly got killed off with the soap opera. <laughs> and by the summer of 2008, I'd run out of money, you know, and I kind of given myself two years to see if I could figure it out. And, you know, at that point it was bartend, wait tables, get a temp job, go back to school. Or a friend of mine said, get your real estate license, make your own hours, meet your own people. You don't have to show apartments on Tuesday if you don't want to, you can do whatever you want. Um, and you eat what you kill. So if you rent an apartment, for $4,000 a month, your commission is going to be 50% of that. You know, the commission will be one month's rent, 4000 but you being a new agent with the house, you'll split it 50-50 and you make 2000 I was like, I can make $2,000 in a day? He's like, well, I mean, 
wouldn't even take you the whole day. You just got to meet the person. You post the ad. You meet them at Starbucks. You take them around. Maybe it takes you a couple hours. It's like, what? what is that real? That's a real job. <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like, then you can do whatever you want. The other 29 to 30 days out of the month. Then you can go and, you know, practice being a tree on Broadway or whatever you want to do with your life. Um, and so it just, you know, I, that was the sell for me was I can do whatever I want. Um, and I, I never really wanted to work for anyone anyway. So it kind of worked. So I got my real estate license. Took me a little bit that summer. My first day as a licensed agent was September 15th, 2008, the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. And I only remember that because it was the day I walked in. I had nice khaki pants on, collared shirt, and no one was focused on real estate. Everyone was at the TV watching CNBC. The world collapsed around us. And you know, the, the good thing for that moment for me was I had no money. So it's not like my portfolio was being crushed, right? I, I was just, I was like, I need to make 1500 bucks a month. I need to pay my rent of $1,100. And then I've got 400 bucks a month that I got to figure out, you know, hundred bucks a week on food. I'd like to go see a movie, maybe, maybe a date. Like that was my expenses, 1500 bucks a month. Let me figure that out. Um, taxes weren't even a thing. I mean, you know, I didn't make any money. And I very quickly became addicted to the business because, you know, trying to be an actor in New York City you work for free forever and then you got to get lucky. You got to be in the right room with the right person who thinks you look the part, even if you don't. And, you know, then hopefully something happens in real estate, right? It's, it's a volume business. I realized the more people I met and the more information I knew, the more money I would make and the more rent I could pay. Like that was my motivation was pay rent. So I don't have to move home to Colorado. And I just kept doing it. And I didn't have enough money to like go to the Hamptons or, you know, do expensive dinners or, you know, take vacations. So I didn't take a day off for my first three years. So you fast forward to 2010 and there was an open casting call in one of the publications for real estate. It's called Curbed. And it was looking for the hottest, greatest real estate brokers under the age of 30 in New York City for a spinoff of million dollar listing, which at the time was just based in Los Angeles. And, you know, I totally put acting aside at that point because I was just enjoying my life as a crazy real estate agent doing rental deals up and down the city. But it's like, yeah, I could show up to this. So I went, 3,000 real estate agents showed up to the Hudson Hotel in Times Square. And eight months later, they narrowed it down to four of us. And I was one of the four. Um, the, the fourth who we won't talk about, never actually made it onto the show. Because if you think real estate and finance is tough, welcome to the world of entertainment. They cast four of us on this thing. And they said, listen, you're going to devote your entire life to making this show. We're going to spend a year following you around. The one of you who isn't good enough, we're going to cut you out of the show. Wow. And that's what happened. And it was- oh, You had no idea. Yeah, you had no idea. At that and for the whole time, the producers, they're pushing you. They're coaxing you. They're like, oh, listen, I think you might be the one who gets cut. This property, ugh, this is never going to make an episode. This is a waste of our dollars. Bravo is going to be so upset. And you're like, I lost like 25 pounds. That was the year I went gray. Like it was <laughs> emotional turmoil, but it was also a metaphorical shotgun to the face, right? Where it was like, okay, I figured out how to work and how to be a real estate agent before this. But now if I make it on the show, I can't be bad. 
I have to be great. I have to have the best properties. I got to do the biggest deals. And they've all got to be real because Bravo is checking all of them. So you can't bullshit anything. This isn't like fake reality TV. It's real real estate transactions. It's all public record. You know, I can't be like, oh, I sold the Chrysler building in an episode um, uh, because it wouldn't have happened. It would have been bullshit. And so it forced me out of fear of mass international public embarrassment to become the real estate agent and the worker like really become the worker that would shape the person that I am today. And that was 11 years ago. And we are the season finale of Million Dollar Listing season nine, nine years later airs in uh, two weeks. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's quite a story. I mean, obviously your background in acting, I'm sure played a large part in that as well. I mean, it, it helped you out quite a bit being comfortable on camera. Um, so, so, you know, you're in this, you're in the business now, let's say, 13 years or so. How long did it take you to start growing your team? I mean, at what point were you not just Ryan, the solo uh, practitioner, and you started adding a team? And, and, and how did you do that? Did you do it very quickly or did you do it slowly? I did it pretty quickly. I backed myself up against a wall all the time, like every year, every day, honestly. I need to motivate myself. And I do that by putting financial pressure on myself and public pressure on myself. And that's what makes me move, right? Otherwise, I just know like, I'm just not going to move because what's, what's the incentive. And so, you know, living in New York with no money, getting my debit card declined, trying to buy tofu at food emporium on 59th street, that really motivated me, right? I don't ever want to sit in that subway ever again, feeling that way. And I will run as far away from it as I possibly can. I don't care what anyone says. And so the show really, it just forced me to figure out, you know, how to work. And so when the show then started, I was, I said to myself, okay, listen, I need to start preparing. This is going to be on TV. It's going to be everywhere. I don't have the business for this now, but I'm going to start, I'm going to need help. So I found my first, you know, intern. I got an intern first. It's me and my intern. And she's been with me for 11 years. Wow. Um, Yolanda. And then I uh, found my first junior agent. His name was Bill. And I got my second junior agent. Her name was Tatiana. And I basically just, I treated myself like I was a fortune 500 company. You know, I had my, I had my morning meetings. My day was structured like a CEO, CFO, COO. I called it finder, keeper, doer. You know, my, my calendar, even if I had no appointments was blocked. I had finder time, keeper time and doer time where I would force myself to think like a COO, force myself to think like a CEO and force myself to think about the money of which I didn't really have a whole lot of. And that really helped me structure, quote unquote, the business and the growth of the team. And basically, you know, my goal was to sell the most expensive properties in the world, of which I'd never done before. And so, I, but I knew that success begets success. So, you know, you should only talk about the greatest things that you do. So if you're in real estate and you're a broker, if you're selling $100,000 houses and you talk about selling $100,000 houses, you're going to get $100,000 referrals with $100,000 friends. But if you sell one house or 500 grand, don't run around talking about all the $100,000 deals you do. I know you do them all. That's fine. But you need to talk about that one $500,000 deal you did over and over and over and over again, because then that's going to lead to $500,000 referrals. We have $500,000 friends who can then buy something for $600,000. And I knew that very clearly. 
Um, and that's what I did. And so then all of the kind of lower price business I would work on, I would manage it, but I would have my team members start to work on too. And slowly but surely, Bill got too busy and Tatiana got too busy. And then we get a call for Brooklyn and neither of them wanted to go to Brooklyn. So I'd have to go find someone to help me in Brooklyn. <laughs> I couldn't be on the Upper East Side and in Brooklyn at the same exact time and so on and so forth. And I eventually built the team. The team at, the, at its largest was, I had agents in Manhattan, the Hamptons, Miami, Los Angeles, San Francisco. We were 65, full ensuite admin staff, in-house graphics, in-house marketing, in-house accounting, just as a team, not, not a company, working at another brokerage. And then last year, in the middle of COVID, I dropped a bomb on my entire life and said, screw it, this seems like a great time to light a fire on everything. Let's start my own company. And that's what we did last October. In the middle of a pandemic, you did that. Yeah. Um, here's, here's the thing, Ryan. You know, what, part of what we do on the Key Ingredient Podcast is I like to interview successful people. But I, I want to, as a fellow entrepreneur, I know there's a lot. Not only does being an entrepreneur require discipline and hard work, but there's a lot that goes on in your mind. And, and I'm always curious to kind of see how people make decisions. So I'm visualizing here you are with 65 or so agents on your team. You're all over the country. You're well-known. Safe to say that your previous firm was very pleased with you and uh, probably would do anything they could to help you continue to grow. And then despite all that, you said, and this may sound crazy to some people, right? You said, you know what? Life is too short. I'm going to go out and do something that I've always wanted to do. So logically, I'd say, Ryan, you sound a little crazy doing that, but there was something about that or something that excited you. I mean, what was it that really made, because you could have just stayed there and cruised along, continued to grow, and done really well. So we'll ask you to do that. Great question. I am the type of person who is not okay with just being okay. I get agita. Like, it gives me heartburn. If I'm not doing more today than I did yesterday, and I know it's insane, and it doesn't work for everybody, and dude, you got to chill, and you got to smell the roses, and it's about the journey, doesn't work for me. I, I need to do more. I need to go bigger. I need to go big or go home. Um, uh, and I got to the point where I built this massive team. I didn't need anyone's help anymore. I was doing a billion in sales a year, you know, on a low year. I was the number one selling team in New York City four years in a row by the Wall Street Journal. It was, you know, top three in the country only because, you know, the Wall Street Journal calculated team size by like under 500. So I was up against, you know, teams of 350 agents in Texas, but it is what it is. And I've always wanted to start my own thing. I just, I didn't want to die working for somebody else. Okay. Even if the money was great, but the money could be great, even if I was on my own. And guess what? I would have total freedom to just create. Like, I think, you know, the, the actor in me was... Like I'm, a, I'm obsessed with just creating stories and telling stories and creating something new other than just doing, doing things just to do. And COVID showed up and what it basically said to me was, hey, looks like the whole world is going to go on pause for, at the beginning it was a couple of weeks, right? But it ended up being a while. The whole world is going to go on pause for a couple of months. So you got two options. You can hang out, calm down, watch CNBC, count the death clicker on every single channel, right? Be freaked out. Or while everyone else is sleeping and watching Netflix, why don't you do something crazy and say, this is the greatest time ever to start a company? 
because no one is going to notice and everyone's expectations are going to be so unbelievably low, right? If I had started my business in 2017 or 18, everyone would have been like, ah, obviously you're doing great. You're the number one team in New York City. You sell more real estate than anyone. Obviously you started your own thing. Great. Good for you. If I did it now, right? Like the housing market's on fire. Of course I would start my own company now. But doing it in 2020, I think it was the only it was the only real real estate company on the East Coast that opened in 2020. So much so that um, the Wall Street Journal gave me front page announcement September 15th. And New York Magazine wrote a full-on profile about us. And they've never written about a real estate agent or brokerage ever. And it was completely terrifying because you have to remember, our income is generated from the sale of real estate. And throughout half of 2020, none of that happened. You know, and I'm not, I'm not in Texas. Like we're not in suburb markets that came back in June, you know, that really rocketed back hard. You know, I'm in Manhattan. Our market was destroyed through January. I sold an apartment in December at 51% off what the seller paid. Wow. The bloodiest residential luxury deal in <laughs> Manhattan, like history. It was nuts. But that was what New York City was, you know, at the time. And then it all changed once the new year came. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything different. Like it was the perfect time for me to start and having that terrible fear of never being able to sell anything ever again and the world crumbling and New York City was boarded up. Like we were secretly building the business under the cover of darkness in a secret office that had been abandoned in Soho <laughs> in, an empty, in a city that was empty other than cops on the street, surrounded by looting, boarded up walls, everything. That June of 2020, and we were running to the office for 15-hour days, building out the company. And it was totally insane at the time. But like, it's one of those things where, man, if someone had told me at the time that those would be the good old days of 2020, <laughs> you know, I would have, I would have looked at them a bit differently. Wow. Uh, well, do you, so Ryan, do you, do you make decisions quickly? Do you, do you sit and think about them for a while? Kind of how do you, how do you process things like that? No. No, I'm not, I'm, not an, I'm not an action thinker. I'm an action taker. Okay. I, I know a lot of people who are action thinkers, and I don't know how they order dinner. Now, listen, <laughs> I really try not to make stupid decisions. I, I didn't build this place by myself. I'm surrounded by people who help me make decisions, and I make it. It is a, if you want to work for me, you've got to be able to talk back to me. You've got to be able to tell me when I'm wrong because I do not have all the right answers, and I don't think about things the way you do or you do or you do. So I don't know. If you are going to yes me to death, you are not worth the money. You know, and that goes for our agents as well. So I'm surrounded by people who are incredibly honest with me. Sometimes I hate it, but I, I, I'm always very appreciative of it so that we can make the fastest decisions possible as long as they're informed. But I don't overthink anything. It, it just, again, I, I don't know how people live who overthink things. A lot you know? of people do. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's fine, I guess. Listen, everyone should do what they want. Like, just live your life, be happy, but then you don't have the right to complain. You know, if you're not doing enough, you don't have the right to complain because someone next to you needs it more than you do and they're moving faster because they're not going to overanalyze. There's something called analysis paralysis. And I feel like a lot of people these days have that, not because of a fear of failure, but because of a pure fear of embarrassment. I think social media has made us all so afraid of embarrassing ourselves. And if you can get over being embarrassed, you will open up a world of possibility. That is an absolutely huge point you just made. I appreciate you saying that for our viewers. 
You are so right. I, I think there was, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was a time in your career, I want to say maybe four or five years ago, and it was, it was televised where uh, on television, you were kind of going through maybe a little bit of a funk. I think there was something going on in your life. And you know, maybe you can, and obviously your, your, your Amelia got involved and helped you out on TV, but can you tell us just a little bit about what was, because so many entrepreneurs go through the ups and downs and what were you going through at that time? I think I go through that every season on the show. There's like, there's some mental breakdown of mine where I'm like crying in my kitchen and my wife is like, sack up. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um, she keeps you know, straight, huh? Yeah. It, the most recent one I think was like, she was super pregnant. Listen, the market in New York city is not easy. It's not, it's like, it's, 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 it's really hard. There are 10,000 apartments on the market here. Can things sell fast? Sure. I sold an apartment right out my window, put it on the market. Thought it would take me six months to sell, maybe price it high, 6.4 million, sold it in three days for full ask. Like, I, okay, great, right? I've got other apartments that have been on the market for a year. I have no idea why they won't sell. Is it price? Probably, but like, but does it need to be? You know, I don't think so. I just think there's a significant amount of inventory here. So, you know, um, the market's really tough and the broker takes the brunt of it. Because, you know, the seller hired you, the buyer hired you, and they're always going to blame you first. You know, you're the middleman. At the end of the day, I'm just a very glorified waiter. And so, you know, there are days that can be very tough where, you know, there was a day, there was a Monday I lost uh, $71 million in deals in one day. Um, it was the day that Trump really started the sanctions in China and the market tanked, right? And everyone pulled out of every contract we had that day. Everyone's like, ah, that's it. World's over. Trump's going to kill us all. We're all done for. Um, and it was a Monday. And every deal died. We had contracts out. And everyone blamed me. Because I was the broker. I should have seen it coming. I should have done this. And, you know, the broker is the easiest one to replace. You know, can't replace the house. Sure. You can replace the broker. If you had only been able to talk them through the China situation, like, they would have still bought my townhouse. But it's important to remember, and you know, my, my wife reminds me of this all the time, you have to look at your life like a full movement. You know, like you can have a bad workout. That doesn't mean you had to have a bad year in fitness. You, know, you can have a bad meal. That doesn't mean you're going to throw away all the food you eat that week. It's the same way, like, you know, the way I think about my time, and I wrote about this in my second book. So during quarantine, I started a company, but I also wrote my second book called Big Money Energy. But I think about my time as money. It really helps me justify it. Otherwise, I feel like it's very easy to waste time. But if you think about your time as money, you know, you have 1440 minutes a day, right? So you remove sleeping, eating, kissing the baby, going to the bathroom, stuff like that. You're left with about a thousand minutes to be productive um, on average. Okay. Everyone's got different lives. I get that. But you got a thousand minutes. So every day you wake up as the CEO of your own bank of time. And what are you going to do with it? How are you going to turn those thousand minutes into, into more? And at the same time, if someone yells at you for six of them, you're not going to throw away $994 because six of them just got ruined. And that really helps me move forward through difficult moments um, because it's just a moment. That is it. And you cannot let it affect the rest of your minutes. You can't let it affect the rest of your days, your hours, your months, um, because tomorrow is always another day to turn it all around. And it's always true, man. Like I, I, like when we started the business last year, 
you know, I wrote down in my, my little diary journal thing, um, you know, all the goals that I had for our first year. First goal was survive <laughs> because like <laughs> COVID crushed New York City, man. It was brutal. It was like, all right, I hope our first deal could be over $3 million. Like that would just be great. I want to do a multi-million, just like that would just be awesome. Wouldn't that be amazing? The first deal we did was $22.5 million. It was a penthouse in Soho that I was able to get my guy the deal for negotiated down from 30 million because the market was terrible and everyone thought the second wave was coming. And that was our first deal. That was our first commission check. I printed out that wire transfer form and I put that there. It's like, I'm going to spend all this money on the business, but that was a big vote of confidence. Right. And then fast forward January, I meet a guy who wants to rent an apartment on the Upper East side. Start talking about why are you renting? You should buy. The market's terrible. New York City, it's, you know, you should get a good deal. You can afford it. I didn't really know what he could afford. Then we start talking about Florida and taxes and the economy. It's like, you know what? Let's go look in Florida. Maybe there's something cool we could do in Florida. So then we flew down to Florida two days later. And 18 hours after that, I sold him the most expensive house in the history of Florida for just under $140 million. Had you told me that last summer while I was building the business in the middle of COVID, while everything was on fire and no deals were being done and I was terrified about income and I got this new baby and I'm in the middle of renovating this house, like uh, I would have been like that, that would only happen if Tinkerbell shows up and <laughs> like blesses me with her magic wand, but life finds a way, you know, and every day is another day to turn it all around. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember reading about that sale. Congrats. That was worth the flight down there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And then the Wall Street Journal just wrote another article uh, about the deal. And the first line was, I think it was like, star real estate agent had just closed or just signed the contract for the second largest single family home sale in the United States. And he sat down at the Breakers restaurant by himself for a lobster of one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it. What is uh, Ryan? What's what's the end goal here? I mean, where are you looking to bring things? And I mean, you you work hard. You work a lot of hours. I know you have a crazy schedule. I mean, how long are you looking look, looking to do this? I I don't know. You know, I I don't know. I I redefine what I mean by success all the time, and I don't want to be successful the same way twice, right? The like I was successful numerous years as a sales team, and I got to the point where okay, I did that great. I reached it. I got to the top of that mountain. Is there a bigger mountain? And yep, there is a bigger mountain. Start your own firm. Now I'm competing with people who have billions of dollars and they lose it all and it doesn't matter apparently. So great. Um, let me compete with them and let me figure it out. But I will outwork, outthink, and outmaneuver everybody. Uh, and I actually do this compared to my competition. You know, I'm in the thick of it. My pulse is on the market. I am building this, but I also show apartments at the same time. I know what it means to be an active real estate agent, um, uh, which I think really helps separate us. And I want to build a, I want to build the greatest real estate firm in the history of the world that is grown through training. I really believe in proper training and sales training, and there's no sales training programs out there that are good. And we have a, we have, I think the best one and powered through media. If you're not selling through new media, then you're not selling anything really. Um, and that's what we're building. And we've been doing it for 10 months and 11 days. Wow. wow. Let me ask you, you mentioned the course. I want to ask you a really quick question. Is the course just for those in a real estate profession or did you design it for really anyone? I mean, we would both say everyone's in sales to some degree or anyone in the sales profession. Yeah, it's designed for anyone in sales. 
just like my, my first book, Sell It Like Sirhan, is designed for anyone who sells anything. The course, listen, is geared towards real estate. There are a, you know, there's a handful of chapters and things that are real estate focused. I'd say the predominant um, uh, bunch of it is for real estate sales because people know me as a real estate agent, but we have a significant amount of, we have 8,000 agents now, 8,000 salespeople in 109 countries. Um, as of yesterday, we had our first salesperson join yesterday from Azerbaijan. So that's nice. And they want to learn how to sell in their marketplace. And we teach them the way, right? Teach them how to build their brands, teach them how to deal with buyers of anything. Like we've got people in there who sell, you know, graphic signs for awnings, We've got people in there who sell traffic lights to municipalities. We've got people in there who sell insurance, cars, anything. If you want to learn how to sell more and make more money, like our sales program is is pretty great. And there really isn't anyone else out there. It's pretty nuts, actually. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, listen, you're busy. We're winding down here. As we do that, Ryan, I don't I hope you don't mind. I want to ask you a couple of maybe quick questions. Questions that I don't really hear a lot of people ask you, and I know. Those watching would love to hear. We could do more like a rapid fire type of thing, but just just as a final way to, to part and get to know you a little bit better. So I guess first question is silly questions, but what's your favorite food? Um, I would probably say chicken fettuccine Alfredo. Okay. <laughs> How about your favorite music? Um, like 90s rock. Like that's my workout mix, you know, just like classic. That's the, that's the decade I grew up in. Interesting. Okay, that's a good choice. Uh, do you watch TV other than Million Dollar Listing? Do you watch much TV? I haven't seen Million Dollar Listing in quite some time. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I like. Listen, I'm like kind of like everybody. I like I like good binge worthy shows that you can really kind of get wrapped up in, and you know they're fun to watch. I just watched The White Lotus on HBO. That was the weirdest thing ever. I haven't seen that one. Funny, but man, oh man, was that weird. Um, (laughs) I think I said the word weird while watching it at least a hundred (laughs) times. How about your favorite cocktail? I don't really drink. Um, So if I do get a drink, I'll get like tequila on the rocks with a lime because it doesn't really affect me too much, you know, and it's not going to mess me up. But I I wake up at 4 a.m. Like I can't, and I'm 37. Like if I, if I drink, I'm screwed. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Last question for you here, Ryan. Do you ever shut down? Do you ever go on vacation and just separate yourself from work? Yeah, I go to Greece twice a year in the summers. My wife is Greek and her mom lives with us. And our baby now is Greek by default. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, my deal with my wife, and I think every relationship is based on expectations and understanding and clear and precise communication. Otherwise, there's resentment and frustration. It was that I'm allowed to work and do whatever I want, whenever I want, and build business, no questions asked. They're allowed to go to Greece, June, July, August, no questions asked. And it works, to be honest, because I then get to go to Greece first week of July, first week of August, and that's what I do every year. And they get to have fun and not be stuck in humid New York City, and the baby gets to learn Greek and eat Greek food, and and everyone's happy, and it's great. So I, I do relax those times, but when I'm in New York, it's very difficult to do so. Yeah. Well, listen, Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed getting to know you better and having our viewers get to know you better and obviously wish you continued success. Thanks, Devon. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you.